You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I'm with local artist Curtis Shum. Welcome Curtis, so glad to have you. Hey, thanks. Thanks for thinking of me. Of course. Um, now I want to, I'll start out by reading just a little bit from your website. So you had a career in the music industry and then you transitioned into being a successful restaurateur with four restaurants over the course of 10 years. Um, and then about your art, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio. It says, with his wife as his muse, he's managed to morph artwork now into a career, creating artwork for Seamus wine labels, etc. His female portraiture is his ethos, his modus operandi, and it's evident in the way his art has evolved into new groundbreaking methods. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> so I love, it's almost like you have three separate, like, tiers of creativity, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they kind of work together for me for some reason. Um, I don't, it might seem confusing, um, but in, like, so in the, in the chef world, when we had um, sommeliers come by to explain wine to us and things like that, it's really hard and it can be intimidating to, like, learn different styles of wine and what you like, which is what it all boils down to. But if, um, they said if you can, when you taste a wine, think of a color, and it'll help oh. you memorize that style. So, like, a lot of times oh. Sauvignon Blanc is described as, like, grassy, and so, like, a tone of green... And then when you taste that again, it's like, this is probably from France and it's probably a Sauvignon Blanc or whatever. But, um, and so in the, in the food world, um, because of plating and things like that, I kind of lived in color and I see a lot of music, like notes and tablature and things like that in color. Um, and so when, when art came to, it's different, you know, using different muscles and memory and brain power, um, but the color was the thing that kind of tied it all together for me. That's so cool about the wine. So it's almost like like almost like mnemonic devices to help you remember mm-hmm. certain keywords with it. Yeah. Is that is there that term? Is it synesthesia? Is that the thing where? Is that where you forget everything? Well, there's a thing where it's like. I'm just joking. And, <laughs> synesthesia. <laughs> yeah, ironically, there's there's something that describes where like s- smells have a certain color or oh, sounds sure. have a certain yeah. color. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, so you started out in the music industry. Were you playing guitar? Is yes. that it? And yeah. you were like playing in Nashville at clubs and things? Yeah, yeah I grew it... up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is just like a 45-minute drive from Nashville, like okay. to be right downtown. So it's like drive from Tybee to Savannah almost. I mean, yeah. It's like not bad at all. So you were just young and you were like, here's all these Nashville clubs, and that's where you started going. Yeah, there were. Um, my parents had a bunch of friends that were musicians, and my parents were not musicians, but they, um, they took me to um, some adult party type things where I could hear these guys and I was was enamored with it and I I was avidly trying to learn and then ended up playing with a bunch of those guys and they kind of took me under their wing Um, and so through um, a guy Curtis Birch uh, I played at the Bluebird Cafe the first time when I was 14 and then it just kind of took off from there got involved with um, Gibson Guitar and then worked with a couple different Managers, um, Tom Zutat, who discovered Guns N' Roses, and oh. Stephanie Scamardo, who's married to Warren Haynes from the Allman Brothers. Um, they both managed me for a stint of time, and that opened because of their possibilities at everything. Yeah. So I was able to do um, some stuff, and uh, I had a, I was running in high school. I had a running scholarship and turned that down to play music. Um, so I did not go to college, um, but music was kind of my college. So did you play with your peers in high school at all? Were you in bands mm-hmm. and things, or was it just you were learning from these adults? It was mostly, yeah, with older folks. And then my brother joined in playing with me um, yeah. somewhere along the way. How, how would that go to be, like, in a club and you're not even 21, and so you can't even drink and you're in here playing? It happens. It's funny. It's a funny yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, there were some, some bartenders that would give me a beer or something. <laughs> um, in there, and um, there's this guy Danny Hayes who owns some clubs in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, he said he was going to, I guess Deer Creek is kind of a long drive from there. He um, he was going to an Allman Brothers concert, and he was like, "Do you think your parents would let you go uh. <laughs> with me?" And um, they said, "Yeah," but I forget. I was, I think I was a freshman in high school. Wow, um, so that's like 14. Yeah, yeah, young. And um, he had a flask, and he said that it'd be smartest for me to sneak it in to the Allen Brothers <laughs> because they weren't going to check me because I was so young. It yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. be obvious. <laughs> so I was with this bartender driving. Yeah, it was 
fun. It's funny. All, all kinds yeah. of weird stories. Just shenanigans. Yeah. It's also to be like, you're this musician and you're going to this cool concert, but you're young enough that you have to ask your parents if you can go or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was funny. The um, I was like, I remember talking to him because I was an Allman Brothers fan and um, I was like, Dwayne's not around anymore. Um, the one of the founding members. Um, and I was like, who's playing, who plays slide guitar for them? And it had been several different people over the time frame. He said, I don't know. He said, there's this new guy, um, his name's Warren Haynes. Um, and he, uh, he wrote country songs and he played at the Bluebird Cafe a bunch. Um, and he wrote uh, two of a kind working on a full house for Garth Brooks. And um, which not many people know that about him, but um, he was the one that was playing there and that his wife was who ended up managing my career wow. later in life. So it was like, that was the first big concert I went to. Um, like that, you yeah. know, without a chaperone, without my parents. <laughs> I like also that you mentioned that you were a really big runner, which is like maybe most people who are musicians aren't into this really healthy kind of lifestyle. So yeah. you're really different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah run it. Gosh, we, our team, we won state three years in a row. And um, I mean, we were doing like 80 miles a week. Wow. So it was a lot. So you were wholesome. You were running during the week, and then on the weekends, you were, like, sneaking flasks into yep, shows. concerts. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, my homework suffered a little bit. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it did. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm used to not being great at school. I did second grade twice with Miss Bailey. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What was the part that tripped you up in second grade? Um, she'd hand out classwork, and we were supposed to do it, and I would just, like, draw a snake on the paper and turn it in. Like, that was complete, okay. you know, like I did what I was supposed to. <laughs> and then it grew from there into where there was, like, name in the line. I actually would write snake oh. and turn it in, so that was, like, an early nickname. Was that, like, malicious was, compliance or something? No, I was idea. They, I mean, they <laughs> were like, like yeah. I refuse. They were like, you're doing, you're doing this great again. <laughs> so that started a long time ago. That's so funny. How old, so... For how much of your life did you continue doing this, uh, being a musician and traveling, traveling around? I guess like playing with different bands. Um, I did it till I moved here about twenty years ago. Okay. Um, I, I played with bands when I moved here um, initially. That was kind of a side gig. Yeah. Um, Were you living in Nashville at that point? Like, did no, you no, I was okay. here. I moved here full time. Oh, I mean before before here. Is that? Oh, um, I lived in Nashville for a short time frame. Yeah. What brought you here originally? Um. My mother and father separated, and she was an art artist also. She was a Pisces, and she had never lived by the water. Oh. And so she found Tybee, and I wasn't tied down to anything. And so I helped her move and then just kind of stayed. And then um, the rest yeah. is kind of history. Um, That's, that was a cool time to get in it, to have a Tybee house also. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed a lot. Yeah, it was a very uh, just like a small town feeling, and oh yeah, not as many hotels. No, it was tiny, but it was just the beach, so it was fun. Yeah, it was different than Bowling Green, Kentucky, by far. <laughs> yeah, you were finally at the water as well, right? You yeah. weren't landlocked. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, you transitioned. How did you get into doing the restaurants? Um, well, I'd always I studied under a lady from Verona, Italy, and um, so I'd always had a, a culinary background, mm-hmm. um, but I'd never worked in the kitchen in a restaurant um I just was a, a really I guess proficient home cook and um when I met um, my now wife Sarah um I would cook um for her a lot and there was this place that um here on Tybee that was vacant she had moved here from Atlanta moved back from Atlanta and it just it went on and on and on and it was just sitting there and um we called and looked at it and it's like we could do this really yeah and it was a lot of restaurant at that time frame. It seemed small the longer we did. Yeah. But originally it was like 120 seats. Okay. So you know, with minimal actual restaurant experience, it was it was like a lot to bite off. What would that was, be? So 120 seats. Can you give like an equivalent of some <clears throat> restaurant downtown that we might know? What would that be like? It's probably almost as many seats as the uh, Forsyth at the park. Okay. The, um, which is a lot of seats. Yeah. The, the restaurant here. So um, it's, it's funny. a few more than that. Okay. Yep. So you guys just looked at it and you were like, yeah, we'll just, we're just going to start this restaurant. And that's sort of like the classic thing that people do where they think, oh, I'm able to cook. I'm going to start a restaurant. And mm-hmm. then most of them don't work out. So no. what was it that you think worked for you? It was a really different flavor profile. Um, it was some very unexpected stuff. We had like a, a duck taco and we had a pear and chorizo fish taco. Oh, yeah. And some stuff that was just... Um, kind of left field and, yeah it was really and some flavor that. profiles that didn't exist 
Yeah. And so I think there was some success in that. And then um, we had a we had a lot of great people that worked with us um, that were that were awesome. And it was there was a learning curve uh, as there was everything, but we just worked it really hard. And it was that was like right at the like right after the 08 crash, I guess, okay. or like two, three years after that. So opening a restaurant was probably not the best idea. And we weren't married at the time. And it's like, do you guys really think this is going to work? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like all, all odds were kind of <laughs> against us. But um, we uh, we both had some fight in us and we were able to That's make so it work. Funny. And then it grew from there. When was it? Um, I guess Tybee was kind of a vacation destination then, but it would mostly be locals going, it I guess. Yes, yeah, so you just had... Yeah. Stable people. Yeah, it was probably there were a bunch of younger people that lived out here really? at that time frame, um, and that changed almost all the way. Yeah, so you kind of it's interesting with both the music and your cooking that you just like had a good connection who kind of took you under their wing and taught you things yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um, the lady Juliola that I, I trained under, she was funny and she she was very fundamental about if you bought a chicken you boil it and you have a stock and you can make a butter from the fat and oh, you yeah. can pick the chicken to make you know a, like a taco night or anything you know and you get lots of meals out of like a five dollar chicken yeah and then um you can you can roast the carcass again and make a secondary stock that's like a darker stock and so it kind of goes on and on and on and you get like <laughs> like five meals out yeah, of like levels. a five dollar chicken I really wanted to like teach classes um, in underprivileged areas where people are spending way too much money on food, yeah, uh, and and it's not healthy. And there, there's easier ways to do that for a lot less money. I love the idea of just, I mean, like a whole art form just based around how much you can get out of one chicken is really fascinating. Yeah, you fun. know, I mean, yeah, she she was good. She she had this guilty pleasure though that um, she was like a very wealthy Italian lady, and she had these mink coats that were temperature controlled in storage oh. <laughs> and um she would like she and my mom would sit up and drink wine and she I, I guess I don't know this but I think she slipped nude and she would put on these mink coats <laughs> and she and my mom would go to McDonald's to get like, a cheeseburger it would just like totally naked under, <laughs> under these under mink coat. coats <laughs> so funny was that here was this in Tybee or that was, was in Kentucky before? okay <laughs> that sounds like that would create quite a stir yeah it was funny so what was that, that first one, what was that called, that restaurant? The Tybeon Social Club. Okay, all right. So I didn't know that had been around that long. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you have four now, or is it like at your peak you had four? No, at the peak, there were, well, there were um, three different buildings, but four different concepts. Okay. Um, the second one was um, Fish Camp. It's over by the post yeah. office. And we built that out, and that was um, just dinner five nights a week, and I changed the entire menu every day based on what we could get. Um, so it was really ambitious um, to, to have a yes. restaurant grade five new meals every day. Everybody loves that place. It was it was awesome. Yeah. So what does that mean if you're for getting local seafood? Is it like is there a local seafood market you go to to get things? How does that? Um, there is. Are you it, out there, there were, fishing um, in the ocean? Or? No, um, that would we wouldn't have time for that. <laughs> um, there's um, there's a company based out of Atlanta that you can order up until um, they get lots and lots of really really quality stuff we yeah. buy local from local markets um like russo's and some of those things um, yeah but we had to supplement with some stuff that was exotic and most of that would come from atlanta and um it's a company called inland and you can order up until 10 p.m that night and it'll be there by 9 a.m the next morning so they're like a overnight and, wow. they, and then drive and deliver the stuff so it was like there was some stuff we were able to get that was in the water in um, Hawaii, you know, a day and a half before, two days before. That's incredible. It's a whole art form, too. Yeah, their logistics are incredible. Yeah, especially that you that you would wake up and, like, come up with a whole new menu and then, I guess, have to, like, train or impart the chefs to be doing a different thing every day. Mm-hmm. That's kind of wild. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. We would we would do some, some pretty basic sauces, and then based on herbs we could get or anything like that, we would um, infuse to, to change those things a little bit, so yeah. it was always fresh. But um, we were getting whole fish and breaking them down, um, which is fun. <laughs> so like the chicken thing, right? Yeah. Breaking down the chicken. Would you have uh, live music at your restaurants? We did it at Tybee on Social Club. We, okay. had, we had music um, Thursday through Sunday. So would you ever play? Yeah, all yeah. the time. All the time. Are you still doing that? Yeah. We still see you play around? Um, I haven't booked any shows, but okay. um, yeah, I play for friends. Who do you play with? Um, there's like a, there's a, a local guy that toured and played with us a little bit. His name's Eric Dunn. He played with a band, Velvet Caravan, and he 
him and oh, my yeah. brother are big, yeah. big friends, and um, so he was one that I would play with a lot. And then a guy named Zach Smith um, that used to live here, he's in Colorado now. We played together a bunch. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of, like, it, there was a little bit of overlap with the music and the restauranting, but I'm sure that was a huge amount of your time, so you kind of transitioned into that. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you just, like, decided to move on into the visual art as well, right? How yeah, well, um, the, uh, because of the restaurant, I would do artwork for the walls. Um, oh. There were other artists that we carried also, but um, I kind of got a following here through that, and people would buy stuff off the walls, um, which was great. And when I had time to paint, it was therapeutic for me because it wasn't a job. It was like after the chaos of the restaurant world, yeah. it was like I'd stay up, put in headphones, and, and paint like all hours of the night. Um, and so it, when the restaurant, when we sold um, those concepts, uh, it was just a natural transition for me because it was something that I built a following doing. Um, didn't have the storefront for it anymore, but there were a lot of other people that were willing to carry my stuff. Yeah. And so I transitioned to that full time. So it started as just like a necessity. You just wanted some things to go up on the wall. You were like, I'll mm-hmm. just do it myself. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. How did you, so where did you go to get the materials? Like that, what did you start off doing? What was your early stuff? Uh, I was painting a bunch on board. Um, and I would I would build my own frames for those, which um, yeah. was a learning curve in itself. Yeah. But, um, it was a lot. It was a lot on board. I was doing some canvas work, uh, but I would stretch my own canvases. Um, I used to help out with um, at Paula Dean's house a long time ago, and she had these um, beautiful like um, linen panels on the front that had gotten sun bleached a little bit. She was going to throw them away, and I asked if I could have them. So a lot of the early paintings that I did are on panels from her, just beautiful linen. So yeah, linen is really nice. How did you, do you just sort of like taught yourself how to stretch canvas and build these stretcher bars and things? Or was it like, like you would look at her work and then be like, I'll, no, no, I just did, it was just self-taught. Okay, cool. Were you on painting? So your style now is, it's, it's very, um, like in your bio, it says your wife is your muse and it's kind of, it's like women reclining, right? (laughs) It's sort of like women at leisure, it yeah. looks like. Is that what you were always doing from the beginning? No, it's not. Uh, I, I always pretty much did figure form type stuff. But, yeah. um, no, it just kind of living at the beach. And I wanted I wanted to create stuff that seemed relaxing, like it seemed like vacation. And um, that just kind of was a, a niche that worked for me. Yeah. That's cool. So you were just like throwing your art up on the walls and then people were buying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was um, one of the first big ones that I did was a girl in a red bathing suit, and um, there was a, a young couple that lived out here at that time. Um, it was Pete and Logan Pollock, and um, they were getting married, and they were like, we don't know if we can afford this or not, but it would be our wedding gift to each other, and they were big supporters and such sweet people that I just, I worked with them, you know, and what they could afford. Yeah. And um, they, they both... Um, Ended up, I mean, her, her father was a very famous tennis player, Stan Smith. Um, there's the green back Adidas or the shoes that he designed. He's a multi-time Grand Slam tennis winner. Um, and so she was a big athlete, and Pete was a big athlete. A lot of his family served in the American military. And um, they're just a really neat couple. Um, he got into the pharmaceutical world. She called me um, sometime later, and somebody was moving a mirror in their house or something, and it... it fell and it slashed the, the canvas she was like in tears oh. she was like is there anything you can do to fix it and I was like there kind of is but you'll it's still it's not going to be the same like it and she goes could you like redo it for us and so I, I did um, yeah just you know to help them out but was this like years later you were yeah. repainting it yeah so did you feel like you were like it's going to be even better this time <laughs> yeah uh, you never know I mean anytime <laughs> you're asked to recreate something I always tell people you know it's not going to be the same like, yeah if you fell in love with those colors in that moment like, that's why they say like if you see something like buy it like if you're in the art collecting world because there's a chance you probably never get that again right like if you contacted that artist and you said I liked this one can you basically just recreate this and it's not I don't know it's gonna feel maybe stiff looking or something if the artist really tries to recreate it it's tricky people ask all the time though yeah yeah and I always tell them that it just it's just not gonna be the same I mean I can get pretty close but it's not gonna be a copy yeah it's almost better if um it'll probably still feel more like loose and interesting if you were like 
understanding what aspects of it they liked and then you just did a whole new painting kind right. of incorporating that right sure yeah. i feel like that poor too the few times i've tried to copy something i'd done before that it just comes out stiff and it's just not as good and it's kind of a disappointment mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it, yeah that's that's true you so it's interesting from the beginning that you were doing figures and people because that seems so difficult to me that just seems like like a pretty advanced place to start off especially if you're self-taught and were you working from photos or what would you do? Oh uh, yeah, mostly from photos. Yeah. Um, I have friends that were photographers and stuff that I would take, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I like the kind of unposed, like weird movement type yeah. figurative stuff that's also relaxing. So would you do, from the photo, you'd do a drawing first and then paint it? Mm -hmm. Did you feel like it was taking you forever to like get it to look good and get the proportions right? The um, drawings? It took a little while to get the... I mean, skin blending is tricky. My mom being an artist, um, she never like gave me lessons or anything, but there were like corrective measures for shading and stuff like that. Like when I was younger and doing that, like how to make a nose not look flat, you know, which is not easy to do. Yeah. Um, and then like, and if you're doing somebody's eyes, where to put a flick of light so that they don't look cross-eyed because then it just looks like a black circle. So what, or yeah, a what's, brown circle. what's your rule of thumb about where the fleck of light goes? Oh man, that's tricky. Gotta, <laughs> sometimes I'll just play around with it, like use, yeah. put it like in a certain spot, and then the other one's got to match that, or you know, or they're, they're it's cross-eyed. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, but um, is it in about the same place in both eyes, or is that not how? Usually, okay. Yeah, but sometimes they're slightly different sizes. Yeah. Um, and so with the with the newer technique that I'm doing, so like on canvas when I would do that, I had to basically forget everything that I learned. Um, because you'd start with darker tones usually and then build your way off the canvas so like you'd finish with like cheap flesh colors yeah. and things like that Highlights. and so with what I'm doing now it's the exact opposite of that I have to do those things first which is totally backwards okay so it's tricky yeah you're always setting up a new challenge for yourself yeah what was your um your trick you said to make a nose look not flat can you describe what that is well there's there's a people um, are people will be curious people will want yeah. to do this at home well there's there's a there's sometimes like a wider flat line and then a slightly different color that's a smaller square and then a smaller square and it's just kind of an over, overlapping of shapes yeah. in, in differences, differences of tone um, to, to build it off and I, I can't, I just know how to do it. I yeah. can't really explain it. I guess if somebody watched, they'd, they'd maybe make, it'd make more sense. It's funny, it's been so long since I tried to do really a portrait or like in SCAD where there's a, you know, a bunch of classes where you have to do master copies or doing self-portraits mm -hmm. and things and it's been a long time since I tried doing really realistic portraits like that but yeah it's funny how when you're just staring at the features you really quickly you just sort of like disassociate and it's not you're not like painting an eye it's broken down into right tiny 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 shapes and colors and things and you just are like I remember them always teaching us kind of maybe you see a color or like a shape and you put it down and you think it's going to be wrong. Like you don't think that's how it mm -hmm. occurs in nature, but you have to do it the way you see it. And then when the painting is mm -hmm. done, it's going to look correct. Yeah. It's, it, yes, exactly. And it's, it's, it's weird how many different colors there are in somebody's face. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, it's like, they're just, you know, like peachy colors. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's like purple and green and blue and like yeah. everything under the sun. And when you're doing like the shadows, like in the areas under people's eyes or in the nose that there's going to be like tinges of green in there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. There was um, a lady that commissioned me to, uh, on St. Simon's to paint her. And she is uh, a beautiful woman of color. And um, she was like, can you do that? And I was like, I probably, yeah, I think so. I was like, I'm, it's tr it's tricky because I'm used to looking at me in the mirror and I'm a white dude. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, it's a whole different palette yeah, of color to, to paint somebody. Um, but it came out really well. Um, and so I, I just put on some, some Beyonce and rocked it out. Yeah, yeah. that's a good challenge. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> well, loved it. What were some of the colors that you felt like you were seeing that you were mixing up for her? There was, um, there was more aubergite than I thought, like an eggplant. Yeah. Um, that I ended up using. I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I guess it's the same principle. It's like darker tones, but still has color in it. Mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, it's not yeah. just like shades of gray or something. Yeah, I got it now. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so your paintings are, they they just have a very like like sophisticated, relaxed vibe to them. And they do look like just little snapshots, little moments that are posed. 
Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, so at some point you transitioned from doing, you said you were working on just like panels and canvas and whatever materials you could find, mm -hmm. and then you started working on, is it glass and plexi? Or just, um, is it just It's mostly acrylic? just lucite or okay, plexiglass. Lucite. Yeah. Okay, where do you get that? Um, there's a couple companies that you can order from. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, and when I started playing around with it, I realized how expensive it, it was because I started using some epoxy paint on it because um, I tried oil and some things like that and it would, it would kind of scratch off and I felt like uh, it wasn't going to bond yeah. correctly, like a permanent bond. And then when I started using epoxy paints, it, it dries real quick or it gets goopy real quick. Um, so it doesn't give you that work time like oil. It's, it's more yeah. like the quickness of watercolor and you know, if you make a watercolor mark, it's on the paper. There's no, like with oil, you can kind of disguise and color and yeah, scrape like off. Yeah, like the or, edges of the markers just yeah, there. Yeah, it, it's there. And so with, with the plexiglass, it's a little nerve wracking at first because those, those paints, when they bond, it's like fingernail polish and it doesn't come off. Okay. So if you buy a full sheet that's like $300, um, you're doing a large painting on and screw it up, it's, you know, you're out. Yeah, it's painful. A lot of money. Can you not, can you scrape it off with one of those like utility knife things? Mm. It's really not. Because mm -hmm, so it's interesting. Scratch. Wow. Yeah, that's true. All right. This is so interesting. I really want to talk more about the materials and everything. This is, we're getting to a good stopping point. So we are going to take a little station break. And everyone, this is Tamara Garvey, and I am with Curtis Chum. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to wruu.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. From flappers to feathers, sequins to leathers, shabby to chic, and everything unique, WRU has the look in its Southern Speakeasy Fashion Show, Saturday, September 30th from 7 to 10 p.m. Discover the low country's most creative designers and boutiques and help support the most unique radio station. The WRUU Southern Speakeasy Fashion Show at King Oliver's Creole Jazz Bar, 514 MLK Boulevard in Savannah, Saturday, September 30th from 7 to 10 p.m. Tickets available at eventbrite.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I'm with artist and musician and restaurateur Curtis Shum. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Of course. Good to have you back for the second half. I know, we needed that break. Thanks for continuing on. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, so when we went to the break, we were just starting talking about your uh, how you had transitioned into the way that your paintings currently are, which is on, tell me again, is it Lucite? Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, okay. uh, Plexiglass. Plexiglass, it's, it's, okay. It's a, that's a petroleum-based glass that um, was really hard to find during COVID because it was required that some places put up those shields. Um, and so a oh lot of, God. there's like a shortage of plexiglass wow. um, during COVID. And I, I was affected by that for sure. 
Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, a, it, it's, it's lightweight and yeah. it doesn't shatter, so it's not dangerous like glass. Glass would do the same thing, but it's got a fracture point. Um, the, the plexiglass um, doesn't have that, so it was safe for restaurants yeah. you know, and, and things like that. So, and it scratches, it just doesn't break? Yeah. All right. But it can it can fracture. It doesn't fracture like glass though. Yeah. And that's why it's in in banks they have thick bulletproof that's not glass, it's plexiglass. Yeah. It's really thick and a, a, even a bullet won't penetrate that, which is cool. Good to know for your paintings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what when you order it, is it like coming in a box of a bunch of large sheets or what is it like? Yeah. Yeah, usually like that. Um and there's safety in numbers when you get more than one together. Yeah. Um, it's even it's even stronger, but it, it's heavy. Um, and it comes with a, a plastic coating on it that keeps it from, from scratching. Do you cut it down into pieces? How do you cut yeah. it? Um, there's a learning curve there. Uh, yeah. Also, depending on the thickness, sometimes you have to use a, a power tool of some sort. Um, but for the thinner ones, you can cut it pretty easily with a razor blade oh yeah um, where you can score it and then and fracture that okay. and it'll break along the score do you have to score it on both sides like a bunch of times and then bend it or no okay just one side. maybe i'm just very weak no no <laughs> well i mean anything that's like it, they sell it's sold in millimeters and after a certain millimeter oh, yeah? you have to use a power tool and because of the um the density of it um it can gum up and it'll heat up and the plastic will, will fracture from the heat so you have to do it patiently okay i didn't realize it was that thin some of it is some of it's thick do you ever just like cut yourself on the edges um no i have cut my foot in the middle of the oh, night on it yeah when it's leaning up and you don't see it because <laughs> it's transparent it. oh gosh my, my wife has too lots of lots of open toe foot injuries from <laughs> open into place can't wear open, open toe shoes in your home yeah yeah do you so and uh, this is so interesting to me that you started out just kind of like using you know wood panels or like whatever random old canvases you could get your hands on from people and then at some point you just decided you're going to start in this whole new substance that people aren't usually working on how did that even occur to you well just like in in the creativity of songwriting or in the restaurant world um if you if you want to stand out you got to try to maybe do something that nobody else is really doing and uh, there's always a level of emulating you know somebody and um when we went to went to Paris, I was really um, inspired at when you see Dorsey, um, the portrait, um, the Impressionist um, gallery, and the colors that I saw there were really, really inspiring. There was nobody in that museum that was doing what I'm doing um, on plexiglass, but I, I just, it, it, I got really art, like, like really happy about yeah. artwork, and I got back and I was like supercharged, and the, um, I just wanted to play around with different stuff. There's a um, there's a quote that I just heard not too long ago. That's um, uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's on a documentary on Netflix about John Mayer, and um, it says that you know when you when you fail trying to emulate someone, you find your own style. Like when you, you try to do something that somebody else is doing and you yeah. fail, you kind of find your own style because everybody starts with something that influenced them. You yes. know, and and a lot. A lot of times you can see it in somebody's work, but it, it's. I think you really find your own vibe when you when you screw it up. <laughs> That's so cool. Did Did John Mayer mention who specifically he had been? <laughs> Was he trying to emulate anyone? Probably Steve Ray Vaughan. Okay. So with the um, with the plastic glass, the, the tricky thing about it is it, there because of the weight of it, it's it's difficult to frame. Okay. Um, and because it, there is movement in it. Yeah. There's almost got to be things that help stabilize it. So the framing was almost as much of an obstacle as it was the, the creation or the inception yeah i would think if it's smallish then it doesn't wiggle so much but the larger ones it's almost like it would bow at different areas mm -hmm. and it wiggle very easily do you so when you frame it would you have like a white backing board behind it or something or is it do you do just a frame it so you're still like seeing through the whole piece i've done it several different ways um i've done floating images yeah and um i've done some that have yeah like a, a foam core behind them yeah um to stabilize to, it yeah and well that, not just well kind of to stabilize i guess yeah but also to um give it that depth just have a background um yeah which is nice um the, the the depth on that is what really got me excited about it and i think it's where it's been there's been a lot of success because nobody is is really doing it um, and there's a guy that I work with. I just did a show at their house in Ponte Vedra, and he owns a plexiglass company. And so we 
we're scheming for some some oh. new things that are kind of custom, um, like five side boxes and things like that. Is that like so you've been ordering Flexi from his company and then mm-hmm. gradually just formed a relationship with him? Yeah, uh, actually the it worked backwards. His wife found my stuff on oh. on social media and. Um, she commissioned me to do a, a piece, and then uh, I think there were two more after that. And then um, she wanted one done custom, and so they invited us to stay at their pool house, which is like on Billionaire's Row. So here comes a little Kentucky boy. And, and where paint. was this again? In Punta Vedra. Okay. Um, it's a, a really fancy country club. But uh, I did that there, and then um, she wanted to do something again, and so. Uh, I did a bunch of work and traveled down to stay with them, and they invited did a private party and yeah. invited people to come and have a happy hour and look at stuff. Did you go there and do the paintings while you were there? That time I didn't. Okay. No, before I did, I took all those with me. How was it transporting your work? Um, it wasn't that bad. Things you had to bad. figure out. No, yeah, I, no, I, I've gotten good at that. I, I usually ship my own stuff because I don't really trust people because they don't know what where the yeah. vulnerabilities are. So I usually pack it myself. That's funny. So I'm intrigued by this. This woman was, uh, her, her husband works in mm-hmm. Plexi and mm-hmm. she's like searching around on social media, just looking for Plexi items or something. No, front. no. She just I found my art I like some, this. somehow, but, um, it, her, um, her husband's really interesting. So it was like, yeah, I own a company that does that. And I was like, okay, really? <laughs> and then we're like having coffee and he was like, yeah, I import that. And then we like went to lunch and he was like, I was like, this is really good rye bread. And he was like, yeah, my company makes that. It wow. was just like everything that yeah. we had. I was like, what do you not do, man? <laughs> um, He's like, the air you're breathing. I made that. Yeah. Yeah. He was a successful business guy in a bunch of different categories. <laughs> so really interesting. But yeah, we're working together on some um, customized um, place glass stuff. The, um, the, the pieces that you made for her, were they, did she want portraits of her? Or like, were they landscapes? What did you do? No, um, for her hosting and footing the bill for all the guests and everything, um, I did a painting of her daughter um, for her, and so I took that there. That's so nice. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Was that the first time you'd gotten like a portrait commission for someone else? Mm-mm. No. No, I've done a bunch. How do, yeah, how do you like doing that? How is it like working with people and sort of managing their expectations of what the finished is going to come it's out to tricky. be? It's really tricky. I just did one... Um, was uh, 47 feet by 7 feet so it's 49 square feet of artwork Um, and uh, it was a a realtor in town Corbett Thomas and um, she's over the course of her life she's had like 10 or 12 dogs um, and she had photos of all of them so I took a photo of her in her courtyard um, with like a cornucopia of her dogs, of all of them from the past around Aww. her. So it's kind of like a like a fun like Wes Anderson type, yeah, painting because yeah. it was it was like larger than life. Like you wouldn't have all these dogs. Just these. So you like had to amalgamate different photos of the dogs and like place them mm-hmm. in the okay. Is it yeah, and it was life size. I mean, wow. So it was really really big. She yeah. I feel like over. isn't she famous for like there's a man that she hires who just walks her dogs right? Is she the realtor? I yeah. think. Like, if you're hanging out in Forsyth Park during the day, there's a man who just walks her dogs up and down Bull Street. Yeah, that's probably right. Are they um, basset hounds, I think, I want to say? She's got a poodle. Or at least the recent She has a basset, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a couple. So that was not... A bunch of different dogs. But it was a lot of work doing a full size of her, like, bolt on, like, lots of colors, and then all the dogs to do, like, 12 dogs life-size was, like really intimidating project yeah how do you do so i mean your work looks so like that the paint you it seems like you kind of don't have like complete control over over like how the colors are going to be and how it lays down and just like the patterns that the paint is going to make when you put it down so did you like was it kind of a typical commission where you come up with sketches and she approves it and then you just have to try and like recreate that no i had all the um i'd taken photos of all her originals and yeah. I spent a lot of time with really good scissors, and I cut out all the dogs. Yeah. And and like sized them all correctly, okay. and I did like a, a photo. A collage. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> which it was a ton of work, but uh, it yeah. helped with the scale a lot. But I had to size all the photos so that the dogs were all kind of the same. Size. That must that must have been tricky if you accidentally don't do it right, and then you do this finished painting, and there's like an enormous dachshund or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> or one from a different angle. That yeah. was tricky also. <laughs> yeah. was like, why are they all facing different directions? <laughs> did you, uh, did, th- did that inspire you to do any kind of like pet portraiture? Cause I feel like that is a really big avenue yeah. that people love doing. Yeah, I've done, yeah. um, I've probably done over 200 pet Oh, pictures. have you? Yeah. I guess it's just not on your website. Um, no, I haven't put a ton of it up there. Yeah. So a lot of them were like real personal. People who have wanted dogs come around that are not around anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty emotional. And I like, hear these stories and, um, and everybody's like so sad. And then yeah. you know, these like text photos of people crying with their paintings. And yeah, it's, it's like, really special. Pets are emotional. And um, they, there is a big niche for, for painting pets. Yeah. I've had, um, I, I haven't done that many pet portrait commissions but probably half of them were a surprise for someone who Mm -hmm. had lost their dog and someone else saw that in them and wanted them to get this portrait and so yeah there was the whole element of like like that the entire thing was a surprise that they were going to unwrap this thing it is really emotional yeah there's um a lady that just i'm shipping off a commission for her she got a gift that was um one of her pets which was the weirdest one i've ever done because it was a bee a pet, a pet bee? Yeah, she's a okay. beekeeper, and she has oh. a photo of one that she says is her favorite. Wow. <laughs> and so I, t- I painted the bee. How long had her. it lived, that bee? I don't How long does it be? <laughs> How long she, do you have to bond with anyone? She was bee? probably, yeah, making up that it was the same wow. one. How big was it, that painting? Um, like 11 by 15 inches, yeah. something like that. I kind of, I'm looking at your work and the size of it. I, I feel like I want you to do my dog just yeah, a really enormous. <laughs> just... Also, the idea of having this, like, hulking portrait of a pet bearing down on you from the wall, I think is really funny. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. I totally dig it. <laughs> um, do you, so, I guess with your work, you haven't gone into the avenue of, like, making reproductions or prints or anything of it. Is that a, a conscious thing? You don't want to have to, like, get into all that? Or what's your feelings um, about I, it? I, I'm open to it. I, I guess, for mine, somebody would have to to scan it um i don't know if you could photograph it right and print it'd have to be like a large scan so it'd probably be pretty expensive um i don't know i haven't really gone down that road yeah because then it would have to be printed you know for the same effect onto plexiglass with like a laser um or something oh that's interesting yeah i guess or if you wanted to, i'm looking now you have one piece that's up on the wall that's white Yep. And so yeah like every shadow that comes in from the room kind of projects a shadow on the piece and then you have another smaller one down here mm-hmm. that is framed and it looks like you do have a white board mm-hmm. behind it so it makes it look like just sort of a traditional painting that could mm-hmm. be on paper or something sure yeah so i guess you could end up doing a print that's just on paper but it's just going to have that look like it won't be right it wouldn't it have that, that glossy look. Yeah. texture yeah and so the, the the fun thing also about the plexiglass versus like just a piece of glass is that it doesn't have that green that glass has. It's like a true clear, uh, it's true clear. plastic. Um, so that was why I started going that direction. Yeah. Also, just because it, it's so modern and like glossy. Huh. Yeah. Like the technology that makes glass, it just always has some kind of color tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little more? You mentioned a bit about your evolution of the different the paints that you ended up using on the mm-hmm. plexi what is it that you've arrived at that works the best for you um it's it's mostly three things but um there is a little bit of acrylic um and then there's some some ink and okay. um they're then like i said the epoxy paint so a lot of those like thick goofy colors um like on like in, in this um, the, the green here um, yeah. is a epoxy paint. It's like a fingernail polish, so it's like really, really shiny. Okay. Um, and that's that's the dangerous one. This is the, yeah. This is, so I'll post this image. She go. This is going to be the woman in the green bikini. Yeah. Um, so is it epoxy? Is that almost like? Is it like paint that people use for model cars? Is it like that? Yeah, kind of like that. Okay. Can you buy big amounts of it? Like how? Um, they're probably, most of the sizes that I buy, um, they're like three ounce. Okay. Because I'm thinking you mentioned inks, and I work with inks too, and it's just these little dropper bottles, so it's yeah. kind of small quantities of stuff. Yeah, the, a lot of that stuff's expensive too. I yeah. mean, to anybody out there listening that's not an artist, the, the expense of some of the things, you know, when you go to an art store, and, and you, you have like a small basket of things to go to check out, and it's... 160 yeah, bucks shock, or yeah. something it's like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah if you had to buy a lot of bottles of ink that would be a lot and then if you're buying kind of nice brushes like really nice mm-hmm. 
watercolor brushes if and I know you mentioned acrylic that probably that I guess that's the most economical of all the things you're it using is. right where you can get a big tube of it or something right exactly do you um do you water that down so that it's just behaving like this water-based medium um thing? yeah it it works differently though on the plexiglass it has to be a little bit thick you know or it'll separate okay um and just spread yeah yeah so like on like on, on canvas it wouldn't do that quite as much if it was like a heavily um like gesso canvas or something like that then yeah it can separate a little bit but i always like mine a little drier okay like just a, a wash of paint so then it'll dry really quickly yeah how do you when you put the ink down that's just pure liquid does that not just spread everywhere yeah, uh, i have lots of q-tips and cotton balls oh, and yeah? rags and stuff to kind of trap it and move it and i use my hands a lot okay to smear like as it dries um so it's like there's brushes and like a mad science lab yeah. stuff all over the place i'm imagining so you almost like if you put a little ink down and it just wants to go everywhere you have to like create a little blockade for it like a little fortress to keep it in place or yeah something. sometimes i'll let it dry a little bit more before i apply it yeah. but if you catch it right at that point right before it dries then it'll it'll stay do you so can you put do you do a pencil sketch first on the plexi does pencil go onto it mm -hmm. or do you, okay so um, there's no sketch you're just like painting straight on I do a layout with um, some markers. Oh, okay. And then when you start putting the paint down, is it like, does that just be all in one go? You just have to do it so that it doesn't dry in weird. Lines I usually and do shapes? like I'll, I usually do it in two big sessions. One that's kind of just an initial layout. Well, maybe more than that. Yeah. And then go back and just kind of do a little more definition, and then the finishing touches stuff. And you said you were light to dark with these. Yeah, 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 because it's backwards. Yeah. It's got to be the light colors first. So at the end, is it um, is it a challenge sometimes to not put down too much dark? And then it's like you can't pull it back. It's right. hard to know when to start, when to stop. Yeah, because um, the light tones can be hidden by the dark ones um, because it's backwards if the dark is too dark. Yeah. Um, so then any of the light pinks or anything you would put on flesh tones and just look black yeah, or brown. It. So it's a real delicate yeah. process. Kind of like learning to drive a stick shift. I mean, it just kind of, it's real weird at first and then it kind of just starts to make sense. But yeah. if, you, if, you, if you don't do it right, it'll jerk, you know, and, it, and it, there's a little chaos there. And you said there's no way to, to fix it, to pull it back if something. Not with the, not with the epoxy. Yeah. Um, once that's on there. I mean, you can wipe it off real quick if it's bad <laughs> but if it sets up at all then it's it's there yeah and you kind of don't in a lot of your work there's not really there's not always an environment sometimes it's just women lounging mm -hmm. and they're just like surrounded by clear glossiness yeah so there's not even like sort of a washy background that you can wipe things into um you can yeah. i've just i've chosen um my wife being an interior designer uh, just to um kind of the negative space is nice it just yeah. kind of doesn't seem crowded it's just um that's worked well for me um i have done a bunch more um there's a, a lady in um beaufort north carolina um that's how they pronounce it it's the same general as our beaufort north carolina but um her her design shop um focuses a lot on blue and white colors and like chimosserie and stuff like that yeah. so i did a series for her not too long ago it was a bunch of big like banana plants like tropical but they were in like oversized chimosserie pods oh that's um, beautiful so it was, it was fun so it you had to be pretty colorful. precise with like getting this uh the ceramics the pattern on the ceramics mm -hmm. right yeah 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 and the way it curves and darkens on the edges yeah. so it doesn't look flat just like a nose or anything like that super different than i mean you're really good at doing these figures which i think i feel like is really really hard so it's interesting that now if you're transitioning into like doing any kind of just objects and interior design things that's the new thing for you doing, I've like, done that a, a little bit I just um, recently did um, a couple of like they kind of look like a European vacation like those big like historic spiral staircases with yeah. somebody like walking up them yeah um, some things like that very so, Riviera mm -hmm. yeah so that, that's been fun just to shake it up and um, for the Isle of Hope show coming up, I'm going to do some stuff I haven't done before also. Okay. And you want to talk about, so how many years have you done the Isle of Hope show? I think six. Up. Six, okay. I think so. What do you, do you have any, uh, some 
things that you've learned about how to display your work as far as so it's a one day thing and it's outside so that's always you know a challenge with weather and everything and right yeah you know, what do you like what do you like to do for your display well I've tried a couple different things uh, one one year I built a bunch of frames uh, two by fours because I could they were easy to get there and I just took a screw gun and just built yeah. something and then tarped it with um, canvas and then screwed the artwork up uh, and that worked okay at the end of the day it was kind of a lot to take down okay. I couldn't find all the screw holes and it was like <laughs> I was just tired <laughs> so um, I think every artist like struggles with that a little bit yeah um, so there are tents and things out there you can buy that are, are pretty easy to they're made for that and yeah, if you have a lot of money, you can just buy the whole setup with the three walls with the mesh yeah, and the hanging apparatus. Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Not a like, lot of people like do that. 2000 bucks. Or, yeah, it's one thing I mean, if, if you're like a road warrior and you're doing that all the time. Right. But if you just do with this one show every so often, then... Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't do that, but I, I like mine to always be creative. And we're going to do some different stuff this year. But um, last year, I took a wire rack, um, like a, a rollaway rack, like a very sturdy one and put a cloth over it and then um, zip tied my work onto the wire through the, the cloth and that seemed to work really well. It was easy to set up and tear down. Yeah. Um, and everybody's got their, their techniques, but um, wind and rain are always a factor. Yeah. Um, artwork is like, it, it's like having a bunch of sails out there. I mean, yes. it, can, it can blow and shake. And um, I've seen people with jewelry where they're, uh, they have a, a drop cloth down and the wind will catch under it and blow jewelry all over the place and so I mean it's yeah it's, true. it's a little tricky and like it, the surface area of these paintings it just is yeah. like the wind yeah the wind wants to pick them up and the whole thing sails away yeah it's kind of wild yeah it's um it's it's dangerous now, but the um the plexiglass and the paint that I use if it rains that's not really that big of a problem okay that's good to know if it were paper you know for future buyers yeah. yeah do you have anybody who's bought your work who has it outside on their house somewhere like um, that. That's the new thing that I'm working on with the people in Florida, okay. um, where the artwork would totally be encapsulated, so it would be like building an aquarium um, oh. where it would be waterproof, oh. entirely waterproof. Um, so it, it could go in a shower, um, if you wanted artwork propped up on the floor in a shower, or it could go outside. Cool. Um, things like that. So Okay. We're, a new avenue you're going into. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, with your display at Isle of Hope to, that, that you're zip tying your paintings to something. Does that mean, do you always have holes in your paintings? Is that like No, it's corners? just a, um, the fixture on the back that you would normally hang on the wall. Yeah. I just put a zip tie on that and then tie it to the wire. It allows you when, when something is hanging like that, is not in a frame uh, and doesn't have a, a board behind it, whatever your wall color is, is gonna influence the painting. So if you got yeah. bored with this painting, you could take it down and paint the wall a light pink right there and put it back up and it'd be a totally different painting. Oh, that's pretty Or like a, a, like a light gray or anything, um, or even a yeah. neon of some sort. And it would just yeah. be, so your, your artwork, when, when you are going that route, I mean, some people I think get bored with artwork and I know people that like resell like collection that they've had for a long time. But with this, you wouldn't really ever have to get bored with it. You can just change it. That's so cool. It's almost like um, like in theater, how there are those colored gels or whatever that mm -hmm. you put over the lights to change up sure. the lighting. Yeah, you could do a sunset behind it, make it a whole environment. Mm -hmm. That's so you cool. Could. Sure. Um, there's one um, in North Carolina that that designer that I was talking about. She hung one on grass cloth, so it's got a just a real neat beige texture wow. behind it. It's yeah. really pretty. What is the? Um, I saw on your website that you have some work that you've done for various wine labels. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the, um, there's a guy, Jim, that makes um, wine on the West Coast. His last name's Seamus. And um, he, his, he felt like his wine labels weren't selling really well. And I think in wine, you kind of can judge a book by its cover. And you can tell yeah. if somebody takes their wine seriously or not by, I mean, usually an expensive, a fancy bottle is usually a good, a pretty good wine. Not always, but yeah. a lot of times you can tell like the thickness of the glass and if it's a real cork and like if it's embossed, you know, like it's like this is probably pretty good. Um, and I told him that he needed to just up his game and up his prices. And he asked if I would do um, two wine labels for him. So I did um, one called Shannon that is a Savion Blanc and um, and I did one that's called debutante that's a rosé and uh, he went with a, like a, 
a neat foil and it is raised inks and you oh, put cool. my name on there and um, the model's name and um, oh, yeah. he, it's done really really well for him uh, he sells a lot of it where um, he just does online stuff he has okay. a shop on the west coast where he sells um, but other than that it's not in the stores or restaurants here okay got it do you have any images of this I can post with your yeah okay cool yeah, so we can show it so I guess in this one instance you did somehow photograph or scan your work and then turn it into a print well, it was a different medium yeah. this was like um, watercolor and, and chalk on okay. paper cool it's easier to do um, let's see I like your in looking through your work online you have some fun titles that are very evocative like there was one um, called it's here somewhere and it's a woman digging in her bag <laughs> and then there's one called gossip girl and it's a woman lying down and you don't see anybody around her but she's looking in the distance so you imagine that there is somebody else with her That's that she's fun. talking yeah. to and if you have fun with the titles yeah um my wife and I have um, some some SCAD interns, and uh, when I, I I don't usually name my stuff in the background, and and they have fun like just letting it rip on yeah. my stuff, um, sitting around. They've helped a lot with um, my website, some of those things, um, so I can focus on painting. And it looked like on your website, there's a few places around town where people can go and look at and buy your work. Is mm -hmm. the Grand Bohemian Gallery the main one, or they have? I think they they have. Several, they have several paintings right now, and then there are several at One Fish, Two Fish store. Okay. Um, that seems like a great vibe for you. So beachy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awesome. And then at various times, there's been some things in other shops in this area. Then there's uh, some stuff south of here, Cloth on Label. There's some stuff in Mountain Brook, Alabama. There's some stuff, like I said, in, in Beaufort, North Carolina. Okay. Um, all in, in shops. And Cloth on Label is at St. Simon's, right? Mm -hmm. I'll do that. And then there's that store, Cortland and Company, that I think used to be on Whitaker, and now it's on uh -huh. Bull. Do you, you sometimes have things there? I have in yeah, the past, yeah. That's a beautiful store, too. Yeah, yeah, very beautiful. How do you, do you, do you tend to reach out to people to see if they want to carry it, or do people just find you? Um, mostly people just found me. Um, yeah. To, I think to it, there is a reaching out of sorts um, to get a little bit farther from just our area because yeah. in the area um, I'm more known I guess so it, you know to, to get some things in, in some shops on the west coast and some things like that it's, um, it's going to take a little bit of approving yeah um, if they, they're not as familiar with my work but whenever I've shipped anybody a sample and they see it in person they're like okay. yeah okay it just looks really different in person yeah for sure for Miami, I did a, I did a series that was some, there were some vintage roller skaters um, that were kind of fun. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we're, this is great. We're getting kind of toward the end. Do you want to um, leave us talking about anything, like new challenges that you're looking to do coming up or um, and people finding your work at the Isle of Hope Fair coming up as well? You wanna... Yeah, the burning question for everybody is if, if I would get back into the restaurant industry, um, and that would be a challenge, so the answer is no. Okay. <laughs> Unless it were the right opportunity, I mean, it's just so much work. Yeah. Um, and everybody, had, like, realized after COVID, I think, um, employees were, uh, it became a, a more and more growing challenge. Yeah. And it always has been a, a big challenge, but just that training and all those things, uh, for me to, to paint now, it's one employee pretty much. Um, yeah. And so... If, if I'm not on the A game, I'm the only one that can be blamed for it. Um, so I, I think I found something that is, is less chaotic for me yeah. to do. I, I miss the, um, I miss being around people and, and it, yeah. it was a really, really fun lifestyle. It's just so much work. So yeah, the art world's been really, really good to me. That's great. Um, and it's been very well received. Uh, I, again, offering something that I don't know of anybody else in the world that's doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it literally painted backwards. Um, so it's, it took a lot to figure it out, but I like good challenges. Are you going to have any small pieces at Isle of Hope? I will. Um, and, and those are um, good going into the holiday season. I will be attending the Isle of Hope as a visitor this year, so I can't wait to come around and see your work. And um, thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. It's such an interesting... Yeah. Format that you're doing, and I loved hearing about your music and your restaurant touring early thanks. lives too. Yeah. All well, right, th so thanks so much for the, the effort you put into this. It, um, it's it's a beautiful thing you're doing, and I hope everybody out there really enjoys these programs. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. All right, everyone. This has been Curtis Shum, and thank you for listening.
Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. 